0: In today's episode of the Returning to Us podcast, we are talking about calm down spaces. And I know in a previous episode, I went into the four steps to our emotional intelligence framework. This is step number two. So once you've taught kids how to categorize or how to recognize their emotional state, then we want to create this calm down space. Why? because think about it if you are really emotionally elevated in the moment sometimes it helps to step away go for a walk pop into your bedroom go to another room just go to somewhere that removes you physically from the the elevated energy of the situation to calm down and then you can come back when you feel good again the big thing to note here is that it is not a timeout for young kids It is a preventative measure. It's a place that we go when we feel elevated. It is not a place that we are sent to, told to go to, forced to go to. We want kids to want to use this. And we want them to recognize they're getting elevated, go use this, calm down, and come back when they feel good. They need to start to think about and feel and recognize within their own bodies, do I feel calm or neutral? And When I do, then I can go back to the scenario or the situation or the group, whatever it may be. So with this calm down space, it can be for any age group. I, I have one as an adult. I like to go to my bedroom because of the way the light comes in there. It's very white and clean and clear. I also have a meditation chair I'll go to or I'll go for a walk. So same thing. I have a couple defined places But include your child in the definition of the space or the creation of the space, because maybe it's a room, maybe it's a bed, maybe it's a couch, maybe it's a chair, maybe it's a tent, whatever you have in your space, whether it's at home or in a classroom, it's just a defined area and you can create that together, put in that area what feels good and right to the child or the family or the classroom but let them have a part in it. And not only just what materials like books and uh, sensory toys go in that area, but also let them name it. Because if they have, again, that control and that ownership over the helping of creating it and naming it, they're more likely to use it. So again, this is going to look different if we're talking about young children or teens, you're probably not going to use some soft plushy toys in the calm down area if we're talking about teens, but it can still be a defined area for teens. And, and we all need this defined area because even if we don't need to use it and we're able to calm down on the spot and we have a defined area to go to and we're getting upset and our, our thinking brain is gone and our emotional brain is taking over, if we have an area that we know we can go to, our brain has that pattern set and its, it's set in place and we can go there without thinking too much. In the moment, if you don't have a defined place, you don't know where to go and you're trying to think of where to go and then you don't end up going because you're, again, your thinking brain is not accessible when you reach that certain level of emotional elevation. So again, not a punishment, not a timeout, it's a preventative measure. We want to recognize our bodies are getting elevated. Go there, calm down, recognize when they are calm and neutral and then come back. So especially for young kids, I have to teach this sequence. One, they might abuse it. Two, they won't know how to use it. And three, if they don't practice the sequence, they're not going to know how to use it or they won't use it correctly in the spot. Because remember, when you're emotionally elevated, your brain, your emotional brain takes over and your thinking brain is not able to be accessed. So what I do is I model it. I dramatize it. I pretend to get upset. I state my, my zone or my emotional state i talk out loud about going to the space i physically go there i use a common coping strategy i say my body feels good i come back i show them the steps basically one two three or one two three four steps then i might break it down and have them do it with me as a whole group or small groups or individually but we we practice it over and over again and i continue to model it throughout the day as i need it and open it up as a space for maybe everyone to use if you're in a classroom. But the more you can model it, the more you can dramatize it, the more you can practice it, the better off you are. I would recommend that the sequence I do, we do, you do. So I show them how to do it. We all do it together. You show me you can do it on your own. If you do that sequence. It's more likely to be locked into their long-term memory and they'll able, they will be able to use it when they are upset. Okay, so here are your steps for creating this peaceful Zen zone, calm corner, safe space pick or define a location and then make sure that you get the right pieces of furniture. So you might want a pillow or a bean bag, or maybe a special chair or a special rug to think about what would go in that area. And then maybe also include some soft, warm, or natural lighting because natural lighting is, is known to produce calming chemicals and include calming colors and earth tones because those bright oranges and yellows and reds can ignite our energy to be more flared up. So more greens and grays and blues. And then I would encourage you to add some sensory items, things that people can smell, touch, hear, taste, taste might be kind of hard, but things like Play-Doh or like a rain stick or music making toys, uh, calming books or calming pictures, squish balls. And if we do include food or snacks, something that's crunchy or healthy because it's de-stressing. So just a few things to think about. Um, It's very open-ended on where you put it and what you put in it, but make sure that it's conducive for calming. Practice it. Don't use it as a punishment. Use it as a preventative measure. Note that it looks different for each person, each age group. And that's about it. All right. So That takes us to today's listener question, which comes from Washington, how to keep all parties in a child's life involved in the communication. So if we're talking probably here to a teacher, maybe a parent, but how do we keep the parent and the caregiver and the teacher and everyone involved? No, the first step for me would be determine who wants to be involved because if people don't want to be involved, we can't force them because that becomes something that's out of our locus of control. So get a yes from people. They have to want to be involved. Ask them. Step two, ask them how they would like to be involved. They might know how they would like to be involved or how much they would like to be involved. And this might give us some insight on how to communicate with them because maybe the reason people are not participating is because we're not choosing the right way or the right method of communication to reach them. And then our brain really likes pattern and routine. So create a routine or a check-in plan, put like the same day of the week or the same time on your calendar every month or whatever schedule you create, but check in routinely and make it consistent. And if you do those three things, you're much more likely to get and keep everyone involved in the communication. And then do some check-ins. If things aren't working well, think about, okay, why isn't this working well? And what can I change to help it to work better and open up to the team? you don't always have to solve your problems on your own. Open it up to the team that is involved that you want to communicate with. All right. And to wrap up our show today, we are going to do the try it at home tip, which is hanging. (laughs) It literally just means hanging from something for children, for adults, for all of us. We all need this because we are all sitting in desks that are putting us into these very 90, 90, 90 degree positions and we're hunched over, whether we're at computers or we're drawing or writing, whatever we're doing, we're typically not moving different positions throughout the day. So our, our spine, our neck, our shoulders become hunched over, we become kind of mopey. By hanging on something, it stretches all of those things out and alleviate some of that tension that's being held in your upper shoulders, neck, and back for kids as well. And it just helps to realign your spine and gets your blood circulating, which we want and we need because it helps you to think more clearly. So where on earth do you hang? Well, if there are monkey bars, that's a great place to start. If not, you can get uh, like an apparatus that connects to the top of your doorway, uh, mostly for pull-ups, but You could use it for hanging, a pull-up bar would certainly work, or if there's anything that's safe and strong and sturdy enough to support your weight or a child's weight, that would be good to hang on to. I mean, even something as simple as a tree, just hanging from a tree branch, and you're literally just hanging. You're grabbing on, putting arms above your head, and hanging from that tree branch. Uh, No specific time, just check in with your body and see when it feels loose and it feels like it's a good time to let go. Plus, your arms will let you know when they're too tired and they can't hold on anymore. Same for kids. But safety precautions with this one, make sure that it is a safe place to hang for you or your child um, before choosing to do so. And that's it for today's episode of Returning to Us podcast. Remember today's tried at home tip, hanging. And if you would like me to answer your question on a future episode, email me at lauren at thebehaviorhub.com. And until next episode, I am Lauren Spiegelmeier, and thanks for joining me.